Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 8. We're continuing our study really in the life of Solomon. It won't be longer. We'll, we finish 8, then we got 9, 10, and 11. And after that, of course, we'll start the book of Revelation. So it's just a few more chapters in the life of Solomon in, in 1 Kings. We're looking, of course, at the nation of Israel. We started with uh, Saul and then David and now the third king, Solomon. He's famous for his wealth and his wives and his wisdom. And he's the man who built the temple of the Lord, the place where God would, would actually meet with his people, the place of covering and sacrifice. And so we're seeing the building and the dedication and all of those things. And so what we realize is that Solomon brings together the elders of the nation and the people to Jerusalem at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. We'll talk about that. We think it's the time of, of the Feast of Tabernacles. And they've come for the dedication. And so we're near the end, or we're at the end, really, of Solomon's prayer. As we said, it's probably the longest prayer in the Scripture as far as recorded in the Scripture. And so as we look at this this morning, we're going to see blessing and instructions. Here's what uh, Solomon says after, after he does, does this long prayer. What does he say? And, of course, once again, he still asks God to do some things and the people as well. As we look at this, we want to raise a few questions like, what What can we see concerning the character of God from this event? Second, how do we as believers worship and sacrifice to God? Do we sacrifice? And then third, what ways can we show our devotion to God? So there's a lot of different things we'll see as we go through this passage. It's not a, not a lot of verses, but the verses are all long, and we'll go fairly quickly through that. So when we start, and because we're talking about sacrifices, we're talking about being under the Mosaic law and all the things they experienced, I want to just talk about something. People often, you hear people often talk about tithes and offerings when they speak of giving. And, uh, and people say you need to give your tithes and offerings and things like that. You, you don't hear that here, and we'll talk about why in just a second. But let me remind you of giving in the Bible, okay? For what we do is, first of all, from Adam to Moses, from Adam and Eve up to the time of Moses, we find in the Scripture that giving was called offerings. They were free will offerings. They were acts of worship. We saw Cain and Abel bring offerings. Saw Noah get off the ark. He brought offerings. Abraham brought offerings. Isaac, Jacob, all the way up. And so uh, up, up until Moses, we see that people offered free will offerings. Now, a free will offering is an act of worship that you're giving to God as an act of worship. Now, when the nation of Israel came out of Egypt, Moses went up on the mountain. He got the commandments. They built the tabernacle. They set aside the tribe of Levi. And so in order to support this sacrificial system, they did from Moses to Christ under the law system, they had tithes and offering. The tithes were required giving. People had to give, and they gave to support the priest and the, ta uh, the tabernacle and all of those things. They still had their free will offerings. Now, people get confused when they see the word tithe. It does mean ten. But there were three tithes in the Old Testament. There was a tithe for the temple. There was a tithe for the priest. And then every third year, there was a tithe that went for the widows and orphans. So every year, Jewish people gave 20% for the tabernacle and the priest. And every third year, they gave 30%. That's tithe. And tithe is not an act of worship. It's it's required giving. Now, offerings are always acts of worship, okay? Then after Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin, and he paid for the sins, and he's the, the Christ, Christ is the end of the law to all who believe. The sacrificial system is over. So therefore, from now on, after Christ, we're back to the offerings. We give freely. We give as we choose to give. Second Corinthians 9, 7 says, Let a man give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. And so we're giving as acts of worship.
I just wanted you to see that. The reason is because in this passage, they're offering all kind of animal sacrifices, they're doing all kind of things. They're under the Mosaic law, and that's a method, that's a way of worshiping God. And so we're seeing that sacrificial system. And so one of the ways of worshiping God was the offering and the sacrifices. And so this morning, we're going to see that. Well, here's a question. How do we as believers today worship God? Do we offer sacrifices? We always say that you've come to worship this morning as we sing, as we pray, as we give, as we study the Word of God. Well, what about sacrifices? Do we offer any sacrifices? We could automatically stop and say, well, no, we don't. We don't offer any animal sacrifices. Well, do we? We'll see as we go through our passage and talk about it. Well, uh, we're seeing the dedication of the temple where Solomon gets up and prays. And we talked about the temple. The temple was this gigantic, well, when I say gigantic, it was not really that big, but it was just amazingly built. And, and so there's the place where they offered the sacrifices. The priests would wash there. Those were also little lavers that the priests could wash. They would go up, go into the front room, and the front room is a lampstand, uh, t- the lampstand, a table to showbread, an altar in the back of it of incense, then a, then a veil, and then the back room is where the Ark of the Covenant was. We've seen Solomon has brought up the Ark of the Covenant. The priest put it in the back room. Then and Solomon comes out and begins to pray. And that this is the, the longest prayer in the Bible. Now, we're going to see this, that he starts off, and he has a thing he's going to stand on, and he stands in front of all the people, and he raises up his hands and begins to pray. We find from Second Chronicles chapter 7, I've been telling you that, uh, that uh, uh, he, during the prayer, he gets on his knees. And so in Second Chronicles chapter 7, it says while he's praying, standing, he then gets on his knees. Because we'll see at the very end, he stands up and he's been on his knees. And so we see that he started standing up. Sometime during the prayer, he got on his knees and he prays the, the longest recorded prayer in Scripture. So we look at it, we go, wow, this is the prayer. And we saw it last week. We saw where he offered seven Petition, seven requests to God. And we, last week, tried to look at it and say, okay, that was the prayer request. How can we make application in our lives? And that's what we tried to do. As we look this morning, we're seeing the idea of blessings and sacrifice. So look at verse 54 of First Kings 8. When Solomon had finished praying this entire prayer and supplication to the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread toward heaven. So sometime during the prayer, he went, he started standing up, and then he went on his knees, and when he gets through with the prayer, he stands back up. Now, what happened when he stood up? I want you to see, we don't see it in First Kings, but in Second Chronicles. Now, by the way, First and Second Kings were written before the captivity, and First and Second Chronicles were written after the captivity. They give us a little bit more information. Second Chronicles chapter one, uh, chapter seven says this. Now, when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. Now, can you imagine being there, and he gets up, and suddenly fire comes out of heaven? Amazing. And the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And then it says, and the sons of Israel, seeing the fire come down, and the glory of the Lord upon the house, bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshiped and gave praise to the Lord, saying, truly, he is good. Truly, his loving kindness 
is everlasting. Notice the word Lord there is all capital letters. That means the personal name of God. It is Y-H-W-H in Hebrew. We sometimes translate it or try to pronounce it Yahweh, but it means the personal name of God. They gave praise to God and his loving kindness, his loyal love is everlasting. It never ends. And so this is Solomon. This is what happened when he prayed that and he stood up. And then in verse 55 says, and he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice. So he blessed everybody and he given praise to God. And so then look at verse 56. He says, blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel. According to all that he promised, not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he made, which he promised through Moses, his servant. So notice he blessed the Lord and he blessed the people. He said, blessed be the Lord. And by the way, when we use the word, the Hebrew word is Baruch. And, and when God blesses us, he blesses us. He does something for us. When we bless God, we're not doing anything for him. We're praising him. So the word Baruch, when it's man to God, it's praise. When it's God back to man, it's some kind of blessing. So he's praising God. He said, blessed be the Lord. Praise be to the Lord who has given rest to his people, Israel. And, and he's according to all his promises. So what has he done? God's characters, he gave rest to his people. Now, what that meant was for the nation of Israel, they had come into the land. Uh, David has won all the enemies. Solomon is ruling everything. They're the richest kingdom in the world. Solomon is the richest man in the world. He's considered the wisest man in the world. They've just built this temple that is just unbelievably beautiful with gold and everywhere. And so he's basically saying, God, you have done it. You have put us in here. You have protected us. And then he goes on to say that uh, he's blessed all his people according to the promise. Not one word of the promise which he made, and he ends up by saying he promised through Moses. Well, what did he promise? Well, first of all, he promised two things, that Solomon would, would be the son of David, would become king, and that happened, and he promised that Solomon would build the temple. That happened. Now, when he says he mentions Moses' name, that's the law. I told you last week and the week before last that in Deuteronomy chapter 28, God made a promise. He said to Israel, when you go into the land and you get everything done, when you obey me, I let you live in the land. If you disobey me, I remove you from the land. And he's saying that, God, your promises are true, and we know what's going to happen. The nation is going to turn away from God, and he's going to take them out of the land. That's what's going to happen. Solomon, the saddest thing in just the next couple of chapters, just in a few weeks, we're going to see chapter 9, 10, and 11, and we're going to watch Solomon, the wisest man in the world, the, great, the greatest man in the world at that time. We're going to watch him turn away from God. And it doesn't happen overnight. It happens slowly, and it's the same thing in our lives. It's so easy. We're on fire. You trust Christ as Savior. You're all excited. you got eternal life. You say, oh, I want to do everything, and you're just on fire. And then as time goes by, you begin to cool down a little bit, and before you know it, you're not walking with the Lord anymore. And it's easy to happen, and we watch it happen to Solomon. Wow. It's amazing. We'll see it. We'll see it. That's the sad part. But the promises. Now, by the way, when we think about promises, God, God makes promises, and God always keeps his promises. And this is one thing that's so amazing. Why? Because, first of all, God cannot lie. Whatever he makes a promise, it always comes true. And second, he's all-powerful. Nothing can stop him from fulfilling his promises. Think about this. I could make a promise to you. I'll say, I'll be there at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. Now, I'm not lying. I'm doing the best I can. But what if I get up, and at 5 to 8, I go out to get there. My car won't crank. I can't find anybody to give me a ride. I'm not there at 8 o'clock. I made a promise, but I'm not all-powerful. But God is all-powerful. And when he makes a promise, he keeps his promises. And so we can always depend on the promises of God. He always makes them. Think about this. What did he promise? 
He said, I give you eternal life and you will never perish. That's the promise. The Bible says that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ for eternal life, his promise is when you believe in me, I give you eternal life. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will never perish but have what? Everlasting life. You have it. That's his promise. He cannot lie, and he's all-powerful. So when you have, you believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life, you have eternal life. You know what he said? I'll never leave you or forsake you. What should you fear? You don't have to fear. We come on a Sunday morning, we're all happy. Everybody's eating donuts and having a great time. And then we have to go out in a fallen world. And guess what? You don't have to be afraid. He'll never leave you or forsake you. That's his promise. He's promised that he will provide every need that you have. He said, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We don't have to worry about these things because they're God's promises. Now, in the middle of this, Solomon is going to make two requests. Here's the first request. It's going to be verses 57 and 58. His first request is, may God always be with us. Don't leave us or forsake us. Look what he says in verse 57. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to himself to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments and statutes and ordinances which he commanded our fathers. So the first part of the prayer is, Lord, please be with us. Don't ever leave us. Always be there. And that's what he's praying. And and for the nation of Israel, you know, there were times that they thought he wasn't with them because they lost battles because they had sin in their lives. He never left them. He just allowed them to be disciplined. And he never leaves us. And by the way, it's great truth for us. God is always with us. Hebrews 13, I'll never leave you or forsake you. What should you fear? We go out these doors. We don't ever have to be afraid of anything. Our God is with us all the time. Now, he says something amazing in verse 58. Look what he says. He's talking about God. He says that he may incline our hearts to himself. You know what he's actually saying? The word incline there means to stretch out. He's actually saying, oh God, pull us to yourself. Keep pulling us to yourself. You know what? If we left by ourselves, we just go on. We just go off the deep end. That's what we are like. All we like, she had gone astray, each went our own way. And he's saying, oh God, keep pulling us to yourself. Keep us close to you. And that's what we should pray. We say, oh Lord, please keep me close to you. I want, I want my life to count for you. I want to live for you. I don't want to go off on, on the deep end. I don't want to get away from you. Oh Lord, please incline my heart to you. And that's what he's saying to the nation of Israel. He said, oh Lord, please bring us to yourself. Keep us close to you. And then look what he says. And to, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his ordinances, which he commanded our fathers. Now, this is Mosaic law. The Mosaic law was divided into three parts. He says commandments, statutes, and ordinances. One part had the Ten Commandments in it, the, the, what we know. Another part had all of the place where they could, what clothes they could wear, what food they could eat, those kind of things, how they could plow, those kind of things. And then another part had all of the sacrifices and all of the, the feast days. And so those were the three big areas of the Mosaic Law. And you don't divide the Mosaic Law up, by the way. It, it, you're either all under the whole Mosaic Law or you're not under it at all. And of course, they're under it right now. So he says, oh Lord, help us keep the commandments, the statutes, the ordinances and everything that you commanded our fathers. He's basically saying, let us walk, walk in his ways to obey the word of God. Do you know what? Jesus said this. He said, if you love me, what will you do? You'll keep my commandments. Now, let me make something clear to you because there are a lot of people out there who think the Christian life is a set of rules. It is not. In fact, there's a key thing. And Jesus said this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he changed the last one and said, as I have loved you, you love others. 
The whole Christian life is summed up in loving God and loving others. Because I asked him, what's the great commandment? And Jesus said, to love God and to love others. They go together. And so if we want to live the Christian life in the way we should, it is to love God and to love others, and everything else fits under that. That's why Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Loving God, loving others, and everything else fits together. So we're to live by the Bible. I mean, that's, that's the key for us. Have you ever thought about uh, this whole thing? There's two types of obedience when we look at the Scripture. There's, first of all, not doing wrong, lying, cheating, stealing. The other is doing what's right. And a lot of people think that the Bible is just a bunch of wrongs, but there's a whole bunch of things like study the Bible and to pray and to worship and to grow. And so there's the both good do's and the don'ts, but it all ties back to love. And so we can always know that he is with us. And so here's the first prayer request is, oh Lord, don't leave us. Pull us to yourself. Help us to understand and obey you. Then he has a second request and it's in verses 59 and 60. And he says, may God hear my prayer. God will answer. What he wants is God will answer Solomon's prayer request. So look what he says in verse 59. And he says, and may these words of mine with which I've made supplication before the Lord be near to the Lord our God day and night that he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day requires. Now, there's a lot in that. You know what he's actually saying? He's saying, first of all, Lord, listen to my prayer request and then that they would be near to you day and night, meaning, God, you hear my prayers all the time, day and night. You remember, I'd say a lot of times that you can come to God anytime, anywhere, any, any place about anything because he's always there. Solomon is saying, are you going to be always there for us? Be there for us day and night when I make a request. And then he says, and maintain the cause of your servant and the cause of your people Israel. That means take care of us. God set the nation of Israel apart for a reason. We talked about it, I think, last week and maybe the week before that. Some people are confused that God chose a people from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. The descendants from Abraham, Isaac to Jacob are Israel. They're God's chosen people. He is not through with his people. Romans says, has God cast away his people? No way. God is going to use his people right now. He's set them aside. He's using us, the body of Christ, the church. One of these days we'll be taken off the face of the earth called the rapture. The Greek word is harpazo, which means to just snatch us off. When we're gone, God comes back to the nation of Israel and he uses them all through the time period called the tribulation. And so God is not through with his people. And so Solomon is praying and saying, Lord, maintain the cause of your people and this servant just as it requires. Let us do what you want us to do. And then he says the key thing. Here's the purpose. Look at verse 60. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no one else. Wow, what a passage. So that all the people what? So that the results of Solomon's prayer, so that all the world will know that you're the true God. I want you to look at the verse for just a second. If you notice in verse 60, so that all the peoples of the earth, that means everybody, will know that the Lord, notice it's all capital letters, it's the personal name of God, that the personal name of God is God. And then he says the key, there is no one else. There's no other way to get to God. We're in a world that's full of religion. Religion is man trying to please God. Religion is man trying to get to God somehow. Christianity is not religion. Christianity is God pleasing God. God so loved the world, he gave his son. 
And so he's saying here that the whole world would know. The world would know that there is no one else. There's only one God. And that's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He's the only way. There is only one God. There's not a bunch of gods. There's not a bunch of ways. When the Bible says broad is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that lives to life, it doesn't mean narrow is you've got to live a certain way. It's narrow because there's only one way, and it is Jesus Christ. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many false religions. There's many stuff out there. Jesus Christ is the only way. And Solomon prays here that the whole world, all the people of the world would know that the Lord, the ever-existing God, the personal God, is God, and there is no one else. When we walk out these doors, you're going to live in a culture you live in a culture that says, oh, first of all, there's not a God, and if there is a God, there's many ways to God, and we just decide what we, have. We, make man, we make God in our image instead of God made us in his image. And when we walk out these doors, you get that all over the place. And when you stand for the truth, there are going to be people against you. In fact, when you stand for the truth in this fallen world, there will be people who hate you because you believe the Bible, you believe Jesus is the Savior, you believe there's only one way to God, and he's the way, the truth, and the life. They will hate you because Jesus said, they hated me, and if they hate me, they will what? They will hate you. So get ready and expect it. And in our culture, if you go back 50 to 60 years, our culture, it was good to be a Christian. Now it's not good to be a Christian. They think all of us are bigots and angry and hate people, and all we love, do is love God and love others. So we've got to stand in a fallen world. We've got to be different. And so he says, he says, Lord, that they would know that there's nobody else like you. And so he ends this little section by saying to the Israelites, let your heart be devoted to the Lord. Watch what he says. Let your heart therefore be devoted to, to the Lord our God to walk in his statutes and to keep his commandments as at this day. Now remember, they're under the law, so they have commandments and things they had to be. There were 613 commandments in the Mosaic law, and they're saying we got to do that, but they want their hearts to be devoted to God. To be devoted to God is a choice. You understand that we make choices and we decide if we're going to devote ourselves to God. We decide if we're going to live for God. We decide if we want our lives to count for him. It's amazing. And so he says, may we be devoted to you to walk and to keep his commandments. Now, this is a powerful statement. And so we've seen the character of God all the way through this and this devotion and the people. And, and you know, if you could stop right here, you could say, isn't this the greatest thing ever? And it is. They built this big building. God has made his presence known. Solomon is praying about God taking care of them. They all say, we want to live for you. Isn't that the greatest thing? Well, couldn't we say the same thing? Could I say, how many of you want to live for Jesus Christ? Won't you say, well, we all do. We want our lives to count for Christ. Isn't this a great time? But it didn't stay so great, did it? They turned away from God. And it's easy for any of us in this room to turn away from God. And I'm not talking about losing salvation. You can't lose salvation. Salvation is eternal life. The moment you believe you have eternal life, you're saved and saved forever. So we're not talking about losing salvation. We're talking about not growing as a Christian. We're talking about going the other way. We're talking about not making an impact for Christ. It's easy to do that. We look at them and say, y'all started so good. And he could say to some of us, you guys started pretty good. JB, you started good, but you're not doing that good right now. He says, let your heart be devoted to God. 
So then they finished. And, they, and so what are they going to do? They're going to offer sacrifices. So watch what happens. And the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifices for the Lord. Now let me just say this. They didn't offer like 10 sacrifices or 20 sacrifices or 30 sacrifices or 100 sacrifices. 63, verse 63, Solomon offered for the sacrifice of peace offerings, which is offered to the Lord 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. So the, key, so the king and all the sons of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. Listen, uh, this is... These are called peace offerings. We're going to see that there's a thing called a burnt offering. A burnt offering is you'd bring an animal and you give it to the priest and they burn it completely up and it's a picture of a, a consecrated life that you give your life. These aren't burnt offerings. These are peace offerings. 120,000 sheep. We talked about it in our grow group this, this morning a little bit. What happened to all these animals when they killed them all? Well, I guess a lot of people had, you know, had a take-home box. You know, you know, they, you know, they, there was a lot of stuff left over, and I think the people ate it. I mean, you know, these were peace offerings. Now, burnt offering is burnt completely up, but notice he offered peace offerings, 22,000 oxen, 120,000 sheep. Notice verse 64. On the same day, the king consecrated the middle of the court was for the house of the Lord. Why? Because there he offered burnt offerings and the grain offerings and the fat of the peace offerings for the bronze altar that was before the Lord was too small to hold all the burnt offerings and the grain offerings. I mean, they had to actually go and, and make another place because uh, there were so many sacrifices. And, and so here's what I want to do. I want to stop for just a minute and talk about sacrifices. And, and do we offer sacrifices? Let, let's, do we offer sacrifices? Well, we'd all say, no, we, we don't offer sacrifices because we don't have animals up here. We don't do that kind of thing. But the truth is we do offer sacrifices. And you read the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter says we are a spiritual house, a spiritual temple of God, and we offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. So what would they be? What would they be? Well, I'm going to show you this. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read to you, first of all, Romans chapter 12. And here's a sacrifice we offer. Notice, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. Now, in the Old Testament, they took animals and they killed them. They were dead sacrifices. In the New Testament, we offer our lives as sacrifices. Now, let me make sure you understand. This is not salvation. Salvation is a gift. Salvation is not what we do. Now, salvation is not giving anything to God. We're receiving from God. We're receiving eternal life. As a believer, you offer your life as a living sacrifice, and it's going to cost you. I trusted Jesus Christ for eternal life when I was 19 years old. When I was about 26 years old is when I said to God, I want my life to count for you. So from age 19 to 26, I, 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 was, I knew I had eternal life and going to heaven, but I didn't really live for God. And then at age 26, I said, I want my life to count for you. And that, that changed my whole life. And so if there, I, hope, I hope every one of you in this room that if somebody said to you, do you have eternal life? You'd say, I have believed in Christ for eternal life and I'm saved forever. The second big question is, have you offered the sacrifice of your life for service for God. Now, it's a big one because it, you give your life. You're dying to yourself. That's why Jesus said, take up your cross and die to yourself. So that's a big one. And so a sacrifice you can offer even today or anytime is say, Lord, I give you my life. I want my life to count 
for you. Then there's something else that I want to read over in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. Listen to this. And he, he talks about sacrifices. And, and listen to this right here. Hebrews 13 verse 15 says, Through him then let's offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. Do you realize that when you praise God, you're offering up a sacrifice to God. When, we, when they have the, the songs and they're singing and you're singing and you're offering up praise to God, you're offering up sacrifices to God. Think about that. If you said hallelujah, what does hallelujah mean? It means praise God, praise to the Lord. So if you even said hallelujah, you just offered up a sacrifice to God. So you can do that, the praise of your lips. And there's more. Look at this. He goes on and says, and do not neglect in doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Do you know when you do good works, that's a sacrifice to God. When you share, when you give something away, that's sacrificing to God. So every one of us in this room, we can offer spiritual sacrifices, so to speak. Our lives, our praise, our works, our, our, our items, helping people with all kind of things. So we do offer sacrifices. It's amazing. And, and ours... Uh, have a great impact. You know, theirs fed a whole bunch of people that day uh, and was a glory to God. Ours, we can get to, to offer ourselves. Let me just say this about uh, offering your life. It's a biggie. It's hard because what you're really saying to God is, you have saved me. You give me eternal life. I have life forever with you, and I'm going to spend eternity with you. But I want more than that. I want my life to count for you. When I stand before you, I want to hear you say, well done good and faithful servant. And so my prayer is that each of you think about your life. And you might even say, Lord, I, I want my life to count for you. It's scary. It's scary. I was a coach and I always wanted to be a coach. But I told him that night when I did this, I said, Lord, I'll go anywhere you want me to go and do anything you want me to do. It's kind of scary when you offer your life to God in that way. Well, look what happened, verse 65. So Solomon observed the feast at that time, and all Israel with him, a great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt, before the Lord our God for seven days, and then seven more days, even 14 days. They were there for 14 days. Here's what the best we understand. They offered this dedication and everything for seven days, and then at the end of those seven days, there was a feast called the Feast of Tabernacles, which lasted for seven or eight days, and they did that, and they went 14 days, and then it says, and on the eighth day, in other words, at the very end of everything, he sent the people away. The reason we think it's tabernacles, we think if it was Passover, which is uh, unleavened bread, which is seven days, uh, they would have mentioned the Passover aspect, and they didn't. Tabernacles was uh, where the people would actually remind themselves that they had spent time in the wilderness wandering around for 40 years. And so this was a great time. And notice how this ends. I think it's really good. It says, and on the eighth day, he sent the people away, and they blessed the king. They blessed the king. Then they went to their tents, what? Joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness that the Lord, now notice this, that the Lord had shown to David, not Solomon. See, this was for David. David had received the promise from God that Solomon would be the king and Solomon would build the temple. This is the promise to David being fulfilled. There's more to the promise of David as well. Do you remember that God promised that David would have a son 
who would sit on the throne of Israel forever. That son is Jesus Christ. And that came true too. Now, he's not on the throne yet, but he will. He's the one who died on the cross, paid for sin. He's coming back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let me quickly go through this because we're out of time. Uh, They deserve that. Uh, They left with joy and, and blessing. Let's worship our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We gather every week, and we gather to worship, and that is to respond to him, who he is, what he's done. Let's remember his character. Uh, let's, uh, he is the God who keeps his word. Uh, we can base our lives on the scripture. We can trust him. He cannot lie. He always does everything that he says. He's all-powerful. He will never leave us or forsake us. What should we ever fear? Let's worship him. Let's remember who he is every, every, every time. Well, you can worship him all the time, but this is a corporate worship. The second thing is let's be devoted to God. Now, what does that mean? That means that we, we decide we want to be devoted. So let's offer up the sacrifices to God. Let's offer up the sacrifice of life. If you've never done that, that's something you need to think about and decide what you want to do with your life while you're on this earth, while he's left you here. Let's also offer up praise and worship. We can do that every week. Let's offer up our service and doing good and sharing. We can do that at all times. And so may we do that. The second part of, of being devoted to God is obeying his commandments. And that, that means love God, love others, everything else fits together that we can do that. And we worship him as we obey him, as we live based on the word of God. 